This is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better Android developers. Just want to take a quick second to say thanks to Hired for sponsoring this episode of Fragmented. They're nice enough to hook you up with $2,000 cold hard cash when you land a job through them. Go to Hired.com slash Fragmented, land that job, get that $2,000, take that vacation you've been needing. Thanks again, Hired. I'm Kaushik, and uh, today, unfortunately, we don't have Don. He couldn't join us today, but if you feel the need for uh, handsome chaps with good voices whose names start with D and end with N, then we have delivered because we have our good friend of the show, Dan, with us today. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you. It's been some time. The last time you were on the show was episode three and four. Yeah. Right when he's getting started. Yeah. You know, this could be a recipe for disaster because we have only both of us on the show and the topics that we tend to gravitate towards happen to be Arik Sava and we've already done two of those shows with you on. So <laughs> this could be tricky. So instead we thought, why not talk about something else, something a little different? And then you came up with a fantastic topic, I thought. So do you like to tell the listeners what we would like to chat about today? Yeah, so this is this is a topic that has interested me for years, and I feel like not enough developers care about it. And so I thought it would be great to talk about it on the Fragmented podcast. Uh, and I was sort of inspired by a previous episode where we were talking with uh, Elliot Schenger about text views. Um, and the topic is internationalization and localization. Uh, and that's just the act of making the app available in other locales. Very nice. And so by this, you mean essentially if uh, I'm a developer and I build an application and I want to take it to a country where English is not necessarily like the standard language or the native language, right? Yep. Or just uh, or just other countries where even English is used, but they have a different like format of currency or format of dates and times. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but generally I'm talking like I want to focus on the translation part here because that's where I happen to know the most information. Uh, and what bothers me is just that based on the Wikipedia estimates, about half a billion to one and a half billion people speak English on the planet. And there are seven billion people on the planet. So that's only about 10 to 20 percent of the population that you're you're reaching if you keep your app English only. And it's even worse if it's only US only, which a lot of apps do. Uh, but a lot of discussion has been around how do you expand the user base? Because obviously you want more users. And you think, well, maybe if I add this feature, we'll have a few more users. If I add that feature, we'll retain users a bit better. But to me, it's like there's a, such an easy win where it's like if you make the app accessible to 50 or 60% more of the world population, like whatever percentage of users you have now, if you can at least make it something that the other countries would want to use, you get like a, such a huge win right off the bat. That's true. That's true. And it's kind of like a show-stopping feature, right? Like if you want to reach to different people and they speak a different language, well, probably a very helpful feature to have uh, as feature number one, basically imp uh, implementing the application in their language, right? Yeah. I mean, like I don't, I don't speak Japanese, for example. And so it is very difficult for me to use any Japanese app. Uh, I remember the game Neko Etsume, people played regardless of the fact they didn't speak the language, but that's only because it was so simple that you could pretty much figure it out from button clicks alone. Ah, right, right, right. Yeah, which, ma which makes sense, I guess. Like, And that's also like one point we'll touch on. Like, If there is a way that we can like, sort of like skirt the issue of even doing it, then maybe that's like a good approach too, right? Yep. Although I will know that they, they did eventually translate that into English. So <laughs> even they knew what was best for them. <laughs> that's true. And and did it did it help the experience as you started playing again? I imagine it did. I actually haven't returned to it since it 
became English translated, so I don't know. Well, you should try it and report back and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned strings and text and uh, all that good stuff, right? So I imagine that's one of the parts that's really tricky because traditionally now uh, I haven't necessarily translated too many applications that I've worked on for different languages. Uh, I imagine at Trello because for folks who don't know, uh, Dan works on Trello. And I imagine, did you work on like uh, having Trello translated to different locales? Was this like part of the driving factor? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, actually, what happened was that I worked at Expedia before, and we had that translated into, I think, when I left 21 different languages. So I was pretty experienced with it. And then I, I came across the Trello code base. And not only was it not translated, it wasn't even set up for translation at that point. Um, there's actually two different steps to it. You might have heard internationalization, right. or I-18N, or localization, which is L-10N. And those, the difference between the two is that internationalization is where you um, make your app able to translate into other languages, able to adapt to other locales, um, whereas localization is the actual process of, of then adapting it for each specific locale. Right, right. It's sort of like the preparation and execution phases, right? Exactly. And so what, what the Trello app, when I came across, when I first started working here, was it was, wasn't even internationalized. Uh, and the first problem that I ran into is that there were a lot of hard-coded strings. So the most basic way that you translate is that you set up a string resource and then you can use, uh, then you ref refer to those string resources. So you have like textview.setText and you set it pointing to that uh, integer. And then uh, the uses of resource qualifiers to figure out which locale to draw from for that translation. Right, right, right. So this is the typical way where like if I have a string resources file, then on my set text, I would do like r.string. blah blah blah. And that's like typical. And Android makes it super easy these days to sort of like use that directly versus hard coding. When you say like hard coded strings, right? Like what is the alternative? Like what's the wrong thing that you started seeing? Well what was all over the place was just set text, you know, double quotes, click this ah, button, okay. close quotes. Okay, okay. Um and that makes it obviously impossible to localize <laughs> right, unless right, you want right. to go in and, and write the code yourself. It's much easier if you, if you have it just referring to string resources. Uh, so the, my first piece of advice would be no hard-coded strings, period. Though this can be trickier. If you haven't ever dealt with this, it can be trickier than you think uh, because it's not just text views that you're having to deal with. There's a lot of insidious places where this can show up. So for example, it showed up in menu items. Um, it shows up in toasts. Uh, one, one particularly insidious location are filter results. So if you have like some sort of autocomplete dropdown, uh, those filter results may be returned as just hard-coded strings. Um, it's better to, you, in order to localize that, it's not, like, it's not as easy as just looking up textview.setText. There are some lint checks for it, but they don't check for absolutely everything. Last I, last I did this. Okay, okay. So that's like a, a good starting point. No hard-coded strings. And honestly, today, like the tools make it pretty easy by and large. So yeah, there's no reason for us to be using hard-coded text, right? Yep. Does it apply in the same, like with the other examples you mentioned, right? Like fil with filter results and like menu items. Is it as easy? I imagine it's that easy because it's all just built into at the tool level, right? It's like at Android, the level of Android Studio, not necessarily anything else. Yeah, well, it can be, it can be sometimes complicated because some parts of the, some parts of the system only allows you to return strings. And so in that case, you have to just do the best effort and uh, localize as late as possible. <laughs> localize as late as possible. Yeah. And that sounds like good advice, but yeah, it's a little tricky. Yep. And so the, that kind of leads me to my second point, which is that you really shouldn't be composing sentences. 
Uh, and this is sort of a this is sort of an extension of hard coding, but it's it looks a little more dynamic because you're using the plus sign between strings. Oh, um, okay. So that's what you mean by composed sentences. Essentially, yeah, so, oh, okay, okay. So if you have like two of these hard coded strings and you're actually like double, it's like a double whammy. Like you sort of, uh, like you add the concatenation operator and then you just keep slapping them one after the other. Yeah, and the, the, the problem that comes up is that uh, the way that you compose sentences in your language may be very different from uh, composing sentences in another language. Uh, and I just want to take a quick side note and say that I mostly just speak English and like high school level French. So I'm like the worst person to talk to about <laughs> the various possibilities and languages. I just know what the translators have told me, which is that, uh, you know, if you have a, a classic example is you might want to list items out. So you're making a grocery app and you want to list out, you've selected apples, bananas, and carrots. Mm-hmm. And you decide, okay, I'm going to be really clever. I can put a comma between each item. And I can put an and at the end. Right. And so right. you compose all this together and you say, well, okay, and then I'll, then I'll grab each of these pieces uh, from the localization and then use String Builder and put it all together. But like, what if another language does it completely differently? Like, what if they don't have that and at the end? What if they don't use commas in between things? Uh, what, if, what if things get listed in the opposite order or any, any sort of problem like that? So however tempting it is to compose sentences, it just doesn't work in a lot of languages. Right. And so then the advice there would be, well, okay, just like don't compose sentences, right? So what would the alternative be though? Like what are we supposed to do in that case then? So what you should be using is uh, template strings. And so that's where you have, um, like you might have seen that percent sign S in some strings. Um, So using string formatting to say like, um, you might say you're about to buy some apples. And so your sentence would be you're about to buy some percent sign S. And then in code, you can fill in what that item is. Oh, interesting, interesting. Okay, and then you would pull that from some other place that sort of automatically figures out whether you should be adding commas, ands, and uh, or none of them altogether. Yeah, exactly. So you, you have the whole sentence available to the translator so they can make it make sense in their language. Um, and then you just fill in the nouns as necessary. Oh, and it's okay, not perfect. Just, you're never yeah. going to get perfect clarity here, but it's it's a lot better than composing the sentence yourself. Right, right. And I guess, like you said, it's like it, it it's not perfect in that it seems like it requires a little more work than just plugging in things or just like giving people to. Because the common understanding is like, oh, if you have everything in a string's resources file, we just like pass it on to the translators. They translate that, or like you know, even better, have Google like auto translate it, and boom, you're ready to go. It's never that simple, though, right? No, this is actually one of the harder things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a simple process to internationalize your app. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I had a quick follow up to the previous point with which you mentioned about uh, concatenating things, right? So programmatically, there is like this other mechanism of uh, instead of actually using the plus operator. Uh, people might come back and say, actually, I don't use a plus operator. I use the string dot format. So does, is that better? <laughs> well, that's essentially the same as using uh, string templating. Okay, um, okay. So, so in, in both cases, that's fine as long as what you're passing into the string formatter is something that the local the translators can actually translate. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, because also like the string format takes in as a like uh, the first operator take the, the first parameter that it optionally takes in is a locale. So if you supply the right locale and you have all those things, like if you take the default locale, so then it would resort to the right locale versus you know hard coding something like locale.us or something. So then mm-hmm. you're probably better off, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Well, usually the default's fine for string dot format. Um, occasionally you need to define the locale for, uh, we could talk more about that later, but just some weird things will happen 
especially with uppercase and lowercase. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, oh, that is true. That is true. And I guess also like in, in many cases here, Lint sort of helps and then says like, and if you have your ID set up where it like these Lint warnings pop up, it actually says like, hey, you, we usually recommend you, you choose a good locale or something. So mm-hmm. that helps, I guess. Right? Yep. Okay, perfect. So, but templating, that makes sense. Templating yep. is easy enough to add. We should definitely be adding that. So what's another tip? So the next tip I would say is when you're setting up your layouts, you should pay careful attention to what I like to call bounded versus unbounded text. Interesting. Okay. And so uh, what I mean by that is, do does the text have a space constraint? Uh, so for example, from the Expedia app, we might have like the hotel description. And that's like, can be paragraphs long, we set up a scroll view, um, or maybe it's in a list view, I don't remember. But, you know, you, you can essentially have unbounded amount of text there. And so in that case, you can just tell translators, go wild, make it as accurate as possible to whatever the original text was. Alternatively, you can have bounded text. So again, from like the Expedia app, you might have a book now button. And we don't want book now to become like taking up the entire screen. We have a very specific spot in the screen that we, we have for it. And the problem is that not every language uses the same number of characters to represent the same idea. Uh, in, partic- in particular, German is infamous for taking up much more space than English does. Like I remember uh, there's, a, there's an author, Patrick Rothfuss, who wrote a, uh, who's writing this series called The Kingkiller's Chronicle, and the second book in it called The Wiseman's Fear uh, was so long in English that in German, they actually had to publish it as two separate books <laughs> because they couldn't bind a single book that large. Wow, so the same content as a pure translation just landed up being twice the size of <laughs> yeah, the original. So, so in, the, in those cases, if you have bounded text, you need to, to take some special precautions. So one solution is uh, a lot of people have written auto-resizing text views, so it'll automatically change the size of the text uh, depending on how much space it's taking up. So that's one solution. And another solution is to make sure to warn translators like whether, whether uh, that particular string has a space constraint. Uh, because often the translator can do things like abbreviate or use some slang that might be a much shorter string that will actually fit in the correct space. So you mentioned this before as well. You said like you can you can let translators know. How does that process work? Like, should I be sitting with the translator as they do it? In your experience, like with uh, translating both uh, the Expedia app and Trello, what is a sensible mechanism of having this done, right? Because I, I mean, I imagine you wouldn't want to be sitting with them and like, going through every single string. Though if you can, well, that's probably the best way to do it. So the, the way that we do it, and this is like brushing your teeth, it sucks and no one wants to do it, <laughs> but you should really comment every single string. So you should go into the actual strings at XML and leave a comment above every single string explaining the context of how it, the app is, uh, or how the string is being used in the app. And that just seems like a lot of work, but again, it goes to the original point that you were making, right? Like this is not an easy process, but it could potentially be a very beneficial process, right? Yeah, it's, it's extremely tedious, but the problem is that uh, translators, for one thing, don't have your source code, so they don't know how to look up where the string is being used, um, and it may not be obvious how to get to that string, especially a lot of error strings where like, maybe you're just covering uh, some random server problem that can happen. Like, They may never actually be able to reproduce it in the app. Uh, and I found that if you don't comment every string, uh, the end result is that the translators come back to you with a bunch of questions later on. And so you can either comment it now and kind of head off the problem, 
Uh, or you can deal with it later. Right. And dealing with it later is usually never like a good idea, especially for these kind of things, right? <laughs> yeah, especially because what if you get uh, a question from one translator translating it to 20 different languages? Yeah. You think, oh, wait, did 19 other people have this problem too and they just didn't tell me and just made something up? That Oh, that's a, yeah, that's a totally fair point. Because again, like people forget this is not just like a translating to... Uh, one different like just another specific language you could be like you rightly said 20 languages and then you're just in a whole world of hurt yeah and another another uh, piece of advice i'd have is to make sure i give the translator some formatting tips uh especially because in and well you, you can go one or two routes because like in android for example if you have an apostrophe you have to put a backslash before it because it's xml uh and a lot of translators don't know that obviously so oh interesting yeah i never even thought about that yeah that's totally yeah you kind of have to come up with a list of things to tell translators like you should you should probably make sure to keep this formatting here um the alternative is to write a little script that just automatically fixes the translations for them Mm, that yeah that doesn't seem too bad too yeah yeah but yeah yeah either either way though you really want to make sure that the process is is a way such that like uh whatever fixes you make to the strings propagate back to the translators because I've run into this problem before where like the translators send back a bad string, I'll fix it on my end in the source code, and then the next version they send has exactly the same problem in it again, uh, and that can be a huge p- hassle to deal with. What might be easier is if you explain to them how Git works, and then just, just get Git set up on their end, and then you could just <laughs> like use versioning history, right? That seems like a simpler solution. <laughs> yeah, surely, surely simpler. <laughs> no, actually, um, what what we use at Trello right now, and it's it's been going pretty well and i swear i'm not being paid for this uh <laughs> is that we're using TransFX, uh which is working out pretty great because it's got a whole web ui and we can basically uh give different permissions to different translators so that they can go in and translate just the strings that we need from them oh wow i'll add a link to this in the show i have never heard of this uh, is this like a service that basically just helps uh to deal with this communication process with the translators yeah basically so so uh i mean TransFX isn't the only one. There are other competitors, obviously. It's just the one that we ended up using. Uh, but it makes it... what what Whatever tool you pick, you should make some common tasks fairly easy to do. So, for example, pushing new strings from your source code should be easy. Uh, editing uh, or actually doing the translation for the translators. Uh, then on your end, editing any mistakes and making sure those propagate. And then lastly, being able to pull the translations back into uh, the app. And so that's... That's something that we do, and TransFX has this client you can use that uh, we just hook into Gradle and then makes it easy for us to like choose to push or pull strings. Uh, we could even automate it if we wanted to, but I've actually I felt a little iffy on automating the process of localization because I'm afraid I'll pull in some strings I don't mean to pull in <laughs> at some point. I will add a link to that in the show notes, and this is TransFX. Yep. Okay, perfect. And I'll add a link to all the other things. Like, for example, you mentioned the auto-resizing text view, right? This is from Grantland, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. Perfect. So I'll add a link to all of those in the show notes. It's funny because a bunch of people have made auto resizing text views, um, but like no one published it for a long time. Because <laughs> everyone th- keeps thinking about the same thing, right? Like, ah, it's not that big a thing. It's a small thing. So I'll just like use this and then we'll probably, some, someone else would probably like come up with a solution. So. Yep. Yep. And one one last thing for the, tr- for the translators that's, that's come in helpful is that it's useful for them after you translate to actually give them a beta copy of the APK so that they can they can test that it actually looks okay for them. When you want to push out beta copies of the APK to, to testers, you want to include all of the beta locales, but obviously you don't want to uh, push those out to production. And so what we use is this Gradle configuration variable called resconfigs. And that allows us to, for production, just release whatever locales we actually intend to release. 
And for beta allows us to release all the locales. Oh, interesting. And where exactly do you add this REST configs variable? Is it in your manifest file, I imagine? Uh, not in your manifest. It's in the, uh, the build.gradle. Uh, it's part of the configuration. Perfect, perfect. And this basically says, okay, I in my app is intended to be localized only for like these set of sort of uh, uh, locales. Yeah, and then when when the actual build process happens, it'll just remove any locales that you didn't specify there. Uh, another useful tool if you've got automated testing is to to automate screenshots in every locale. It's been handy, and it's especially handy because you probably want to have your store page have. Uh, each locale represented. So if you just write a script, it doesn't have to even be a like proper test. It can just be some sort of stupid script that goes through and takes screenshots of, of the core information. And then you can just quickly eyeball everything and then have a look if things are okay. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Do you guys use something like Spoon for your uh, screenshot automation? Or uh, do you have other tools? Nope, we're just using Espresso plus a lot of uh, hacks. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So I imagine this is like you have Util sort of like helpers inside your espresso testing suite that just basically says take screenshot now or do this do that. Right? Well, espresso, I think espresso has a take screenshot method. I wasn't the one to do this, so I don't uh, know the specifics. Okay, okay, okay. So we talked a lot about translating s- strings. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take a step back and talk about some of the uh, the tools we we're, I'm using to do this. Basically, yes, yes. Um, so you've got your basic string resource uh, that's pretty well known. One that's maybe a little less known is plurals. Oh, yes. Plurals resource, which is uh, for anything that's kind of numerical in value. So if you might, again, to go back to grocery shopping, you might have like zero items in your bag or one item in your bag or two items in your bag. Uh, And what this does, it allows you to find find a single resource that then you pass in how many items there are and uh, it'll figure out which of these strings to pick for you. Uh, and, And the reason this is helpful is because plurals are not the same in every language. Again, if you make too many assumptions based on your current language like English, uh, you might English really only has two cases where there's one of something and when anything else happens. Other languages have some crazy localization language. Uh, in fact, I should, I should look this up real quickly because it's kind of hilarious what some of them do. Uh, but other languages have things for like, yeah, so the, the different things are zero, one. Some languages have special stuff for two. For a few, for many. Oh, um, wow. So this is basically, uh, so there are two aspects to this. One is essentially the same uh, sort of noun. The pluralized form of that noun could be different. Like with English, it's like one or many, right? So like item or items. And that could mm-hmm. be, uh, that's one aspect of it. But the second is also the rules applied for that pluralization. I think that holds even with English, right? Like you can't just tack on an S and then say that's like the pl- pluralized form of that word. For example, uh, what's the f- sheep? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, ten sheeps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one tool. Uh, a second tool that's been very helpful is uh, the pseudo localizer, and this is not a very well known part of uh, the Android toolset. But what it does is uh, goes through and takes your your base English translation and basically adds a bunch of accents and other weird wacky things to it. <laughs> um. It, it, it extends the string length, double the size so that you, you can see how it is if it's bigger. Um, but it still keeps it looking vaguely like English. And so it becomes something that you can use to see, uh, to see a few things. One is, do the longer strings work in my app? Another thing it does is, are, is everything actually translatable? Because if something's hard-coded, it's going to show up like normal English, and you're going to realize instantly, like, oh, whoops, I, I missed a spot. Um, It'll show you if your app can handle accents properly. Because um, one of the things that a lot of people do is 
you have these ascenders and descenders and in English it doesn't really matter so much like this it do, like things don't get cut off that often if you decide to not include font padding but in other locales if you decide not to include font padding it can get things really messed up i remember elliot when he was on the show mentioned this about like certain languages like i believe he said thai or some uh, I th- I, those languages like it it makes a big difference yeah some languages i think you can just keep adding more and more accents above and below characters so you really have to have that font padding i i had no idea about pseudo localizer but i believe you had a blog post on this sometime back, right? I did. Yes, we could we could add a link to that in the show notes because it's it's a fun little tool. This and th- the first thing that came to my mind when I actually read your blog post then was like this is probably the best way to troll someone. <laughs> <laughs> If you could get a way where you could flip a switch or something and then you could just get it to troll someone, this would be like the best trolling tool. Yeah, it really everything looks really weird. I called it bizarre world in the blog post because it just looks like a very bizarre version of English. Um so another another tool that's helpful with that um are xlif tags that you can add to your strings.xml. Uh and what this does is it adds extra metadata to the translations. In particular it, it adds metadata to like whether or not or to to string templating. Well, what exactly is xlif? Now is this something that Android provides or is this something like cuz uh, if I remember right this is actually like some standard, right? This isn't yes. like something that the folks at Google came up with for Android. Yes, it's its own standard and Android uses kind of like a subset of it in the strings. Okay. Uh, okay. You can see examples of it in the Android source code. Uh but when you when you add this to the string templating, that's that's the extent I'm using it for. You can uh say like what the value of the field is supposed to be instead of percent %s it's it's supposed to be, you know, the item that you have in your hand right now. Uh or and you can then also give an example of what could be inserted there. and this is all useful information the translators can use and also in code uh android studio will actually shorten the string and and show you instead of r.string.whatever it'll show you that example in the oh, code oh and so that makes it like additionally more useful yep plus it can also be helpful in uh pseudolocalization because uh sometimes pseudolocalization can can change things that are actually supposed to be templated Mm-hmm. And so in that case xlif it ob- it purposely doesn't uh pseudo localize anything that's inside xlif tags. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. So that that that's the, like the additional sort of use towards it. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, and then the last the last tool that we use um that is found very helpful is this micro library from Square called Phrase. Uh and obviously you can't get through any fragmented podcast without mentioning a Square library at least <laughs> once. Um <laughs> that is true that is so true. But what this one does is uh normal string interpolation uses that percent %s percent %d uh and it's it's just not very friendly especially if you have a lot of of strings. So it's a lot more friendly to use something like phrase where instead it has these curly brackets and then you can say curly brackets board curly brackets item oh and then okay. you then you get to fill it in in code in code it's easier cuz you're saying i want the board to be this name i want the item to be this thing um instead of just making sure that everything is in the right order and hoping you don't mess it up uh but it also makes things a lot more friendly for translators because then they can look at this they can look at this sentence and it actually sort of makes sense I remember when they announced phrase and it it seemed pretty cool. It it it's kind of sad that we don't have something like this natively because like you rightly said like the percentage as the whole thing like it, it it's very easy to bite your, like shoot yourself in the foot with those. So sometimes if you don't provide the right number of parameters then it just shows up as percentage as in your 
in your application and you're like why does this happen yeah and it's 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 got the same thing as kind of the effective java like using the builder pattern for a, instead of having a constructor with many parameters because if you have a template that has like three or four different items in it you're going to get lost oh for sure for sure yeah uh, it's just a lot easier to, to use phrase for stuff like that perfect and we will definitely add a link to that in the show notes i had a quick follow-up question to a previous point you made about plurals so you you said there's like Uh, usually with english it's easy in that you usually have just like one and uh you have either one or many but we didn't necessarily consider the case where you have zero because like sometimes uh what's an example like you mentioned items right let's just take item right so for zero you would have maybe for some reason your app uh your designer said no it would make more sense to have no item right as yep. an no uh but for one you want like one item but multiple you have n items and that I remember like it, it like initially in my early days I was like wait why do they not have this right did this seems like something so obvious that you would want to have it because it's like zero one many it's like the easy sort of extension Well it's 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 tricky it's tricky because um it's a micro optimization just for English <laughs> right exactly it doesn't necessarily apply to other languages one thing to know uh warning about plurals just because the quantity is there doesn't mean the system uses it exactly and that's the so, point I wanted to bring yeah 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 so they have so you can enter in for English a plurals of zero but it never actually gets used because in English it says I I'm just going to use other and that's because it's assuming that you're using numbers for plurals so if you have zero of something you don't say you say zero items you don't say no items. So if you if you really care about that for a particular locale then I think you just have to like code that in yourself basically. Right, right. And that's the point I wanted to bring up and it makes more sense to me now why it doesn't like just naturally exist because it wasn't built just for the English language, right? It was built like by extension for all other languages. And in that case this seems like the exception. English seems like the exception in that case. Yeah, and so I I think one downside of internationalization is that you do have to a little bit take the personality out of your app um <laughs> because just in order to make something work for all these cultures you have to make sure that it's compatible with everyone so it sometimes though what we'll do at Trello is we'll we'll add the personality just for english because we are native english speakers mm-hmm. and then we'll make something simpler for everyone else so for example our release notes tend to be kind of crazy and we just don't <laughs> those are just the english ones for the other languages we just have a kind of more standard release notes Okay, so localization like reduces like the sassiness you can bring into your app. Yeah, unless you have native speakers of all of it, but you know, I I can't I don't know if my English joke will land well in Chinese. So For sure, for sure. If anything it could like go the opposite. Like the the last thing you want is if it rubs in the wrong direction, right? Because sometimes oh, yeah. it's totally possible with different languages. So speaking about different languages, right? Like one thing that's usually pretty common and comes up and like almost every like person who sort of like is a proponent of like localization and interna- internationalization. Okay, that's like <laughs> tongue twister. Uh, so the the left to right, right to left support, that's something that always like comes up, right? Because it's the most obvious indication that you need to be doing something better uh, in terms of a strategy. So let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, it's a it's a real big topic and I've actually not personally done a right to left language on Android yet. I've done it for web applications before I was working on Android. Um but basically for like there there are a couple big languages uh in particular Arabic and Hebrew that are right to left reading. And generally this means a lot of stuff. It doesn't just mean that the text is right to left, but it means the whole user interface really gets mirrored and flipped. Um 
So it's a lot. It's a lot of work to get it working. That's why Google's pushing instead of using padding left and padding right, using things like padding start and padding end, because then that can automatically change based on uh, the locale. Uh, but there's there's a lot of complicated things that come up with right to left. Another a big problem is that if you're mixing right to left and left to right text, what happens? Uh, and there's this whole bi this whole thing called the bidirectional algorithm. Uh, which you can read about in gory detail online, <laughs> and it's it's complicated and it's hilariously uh, difficult to work with, uh, but it's something you have to tackle if you're going to be mixing those two things, which can definitely happen if you're like templating strings. Um, there's a there's a absolutely great talk uh, that a developer uh, named Ahmed El Halu gave, and he gave it at a Droidcon SF and we'll link it in the show notes, I'm sure, but it's, it's fabulous. If you're going to do right to left support. I highly recommend watching it because it goes over kind of all the different things you need to do to, to get it ready and all the, all the problems you can solve. I remember uh, Ahmed uh, is a Facebook engineer. So I imagine they have some experience there as well. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they have a real hard time too, because I, in my opinion, you really can't start supporting right to left well until you get to min SDK 17. Um, because before then, there's just a lack of support. Uh, and then there's also a Samsung bug, which makes things really difficult to work of around. Of course there is. So, <laughs> um, so the Samsung bug is that uh, padding start and padding end, the thing that makes right to left really possible, um, all those variables. Samsung added a couple of those to their OS before they were actually official. And they screwed it up. So you can't put dimension values in there. And if you do, it, the app just blows up. And so really, if you want to support pre-17, at the very least, what you have to do is like have all your layouts have some have padding start and padding end and some of them have padding left and padding right. It's just a huge pain. I think that if you have MiniCK17, it's just a lot better route. Wow. And the, the guys and gals at Facebook have it even worse because I remember they are probably one of the few apps that go all the way to one or four or something, right? Like I know that's one of their things where they like go all the way back. Yeah, I feel I feel for them. Oh, that's, yeah. Ooh. Just thinking about it, like, you know, sends chills up my spine. Fine. Anyways, I, I don't listen to me talk about right to left. Go listen to that talk. It's a lot more informative than I'll ever be on it. Okay, perfect. Um, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Sure thing. So another problem that we had at Trello is that the app doesn't actually own all of the strings. That we get push notifications from the server, and the server is the one that constructs those strings. Ah, okay. And you hinted at this earlier, and I wanted to ask, tell us more about this. So for example, like when you get a notification, that's something that's constructed by the server. Um, and so there, there becomes a problem of ownership, like who owns this string and, and where does the translation go? Uh, and I, it, I think it's really tricky to have the server actually send something in the correct locale because the user might have changed their phone's locale or maybe something gets mixed up. What we ended up settling on was the solution of like, what the server sends is actually just a, a key and the values that you should fill into the template. Initially, uh, people usually think like, oh, wait, why not just make this easy and then have the server send down all the string resources, right? Because that way, even if uh, you have to write an iOS application or something, you don't have to go go through the laborious process of actually having to do this twice. But it doesn't really work that way because what happens if your app doesn't have a connection, like network connectivity? Do you not show anything? Or like, you know, if you, or you could like go and pull like all the file once and then deal with it. But it it's just way more messy than you would think in theory yep yep and i i I think we're hopefully maybe someday going to be able to pull down strings uh dynamically but for the time being what we have is uh we actually have all the server strings in a separate folder in our in our project so uh what we've actually done in the project is have all the server strings inside of like a uh some folder in our project and 
we slurp them up with a Gradle plugin, uh, actually a lot like the Victor plugin that we have. I, I took that as a template and then re- repurposed it so that we can take the strings. It's not formatted for Android at all, but we can then reformat it for Android and then slurp it into the app and, and register it as a, a resource generating task. Oh, um, that seems pretty slick. Yeah, so, that, so then anytime we need to update the server strings, we just pull it down from the server, and then the build process automatically updates all those strings for us internally. And then we have to grab all those strings by reflection whenever we get them uh, from the server. So I, I have to ask, in your experience uh, with having done this, are there any crazy things that you've come across, like in terms of like languages and like the weirdnesses associated with language? Oh, yeah, there's tons of them. A few, a few that comes to mind. Uh, right off the bat uh and i you'll have to someone will have to correct me if i'm wrong about these things because they're just things i think i've run across but i am not 100 percent sure about some of them uh, I, I think that in italian the gender of the person matters for some translations oh interesting so that's totally true with also like uh, one of the indian languages hindi like our national language oh yeah, yeah. so that's a serious problem that's why i think some some systems are asking for your gender even though you're like why do you care um I think in our Trello translations right now, uh, you know how sometimes in English you might have like a parentheses S at the end of a word if you don't want to bother translating it into both like <laughs> single and plural just right, to indicate right. it could be one or could be many. Right, right, I think right. they did something like that for Italian. Really? Because we, oh. we continue not to care about your gender at Trello. Uh, you can be whatever you want. Okay. Uh, it doesn't matter to us. But unfortunately, for translation purposes, we have to do something. So Interesting. Oh, and uh, I recently tweeted about this, the usual thing with Mr. and Miss. Uh, and now people have started using MX as like addressing initial or the prefix. So Yeah. Oh, I'm, I went to a liberal arts college. I know all about uh-huh. Z and here and uh, all those other <laughs> alternative pronouns. I think like, yeah, eventually just for like developer sanity, if we get to a world where that's the only thing that we use, like I'm not complaining. I'd be happy with that. <laughs> yeah. Another fun one is Turkish. Okay. Uh, and the reason Turkish is fun is because it has a dotless I in it. So an I that has no dot on the top, which is actually distinct from the I that does have a dot. And I often I have to look this up every time because I get it mixed up. But basically, if you're, if you're using to uppercase or to lowercase, and the user's um, locale happens to be Turkish, and there's any I's in there, you may get things messed up. So you have to be very careful about that. And so if you have something where you're doing like to lowercase just to like do case insensitive string matching for example mm-hmm. that can get all messed up with this <laughs> oh wow i love these war stories this is that one cool. um i heard recently german capitalization can matter for meaning sometimes so uh like our instinct in english is to like capitalize the first word of a sentence or like or maybe for like a menu item we want to capitalize the first word of every menu of every of every word uh, and then the German translators came back and said, well, you know, th- if we do that here, it'll change the meaning. So we said, okay, just do whatever m- makes it m- mean the right thing. Holy cow, that is so tricky because like it, it's almost like second nature. So this is super useful for people listening. Like, don't go gung-ho about just like programmatically changing things in upper to upper and lower case, I imagine, is the learning. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it brings up a point, which is if you're, if you're changing strings, you should have a real process for changing strings. Um and our process right now is actually just create a new string and delete the old one. Because it's, it's too worrisome to have to deal with like, well, did we make sure to trans- retranslate it in all languages? Oh, interesting. Okay, okay. So you just like nuke the thing and then start fresh. So that way, you yeah. know, at least going forward, it's easier. Yep. Yeah, and then the last one that I learned recently, and I only learned this from Ahmed 
Ahmed's talk about right to left is that uh, some languages are cursive, in particular Arabic, which is a rather widely used language. Yeah, yeah. That's and true. so, uh, in, like in English, uh, as long as you're not doing cursive English, every character is distinct. Um, yes, that I'm is sure right. some font enthusiasts will blow up at me for that. But basically, every <laughs> character is distinct. Whereas in Arabic, there's actually something called the reshaper, which takes all the individual characters and then turns it into cursive. So this can be tricky if you're if you're doing things like line wrapping with text views, and then suddenly if it line wraps at the wrong point, your cursive stuff gets messed up. Oh man, just thinking so, about this makes my head explode. <laughs> just yeah, and I, I think wow. the Android framework handles this for the most part, but it, it just means that you shouldn't manually be like breaking up characters. Because yeah. who knows what'll happen? Wow, that is like just imagine the implementation that the folks had to go through to sort of like get this to work. <laughs> Ooh, that is yeah. So, so if you want to avoid all these problems, one alternative you could check out is just using icons instead of text. Boom! Uh, this, yeah, <laughs> it's very very lucrative. Right. Um, there's actually, I think, there's a comic I love where it, it's about someone like trying to figure out how to localize their video game. And then, and they're like figuring out how incredibly difficult it is. And by the end, they decide, and that's why I decided to go with nothing but t- icons <laughs> to give a full immersive feeling. But yeah, it, <laughs> the, but the, yeah, the truth is, it's just too. It's just much harder to deal with text, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. And also, this is like another interesting thing that one of uh, our like UX designers told me some time back. Apparently, having both text and icons on buttons convert better, and so that's typically why you would see like certain applications that are trying to drive a certain action. They ask you to have both. So that can get like, because then you have the left drawable and the right drawable. Like if you're using the standard text view, that can get pretty (laughs) tricky there. Because is there like a start drawable and an end drawable? I imagine there should be there. I don't remember, but I feel like there should be. Yeah. Man, this is, this is hard stuff. Now you you can imagine why people are like, "Ah, actually, I'm not going to look like (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a hard, it's a hard problem. But again, it's like, if you want to like quadruple your user base, because once once you've got it set up for one language, there's a whole bunch of languages, like all the like German and French and Spanish and all of those in Italian are all relatively similar. Or I'm going to offend someone by saying that they're not a huge difference. Like it's not like having to do Arabic where you have to deal with cursive and right to left and all that stuff. Right, so even right. just getting a few of the locales set up, you can you can get an easy win with a bunch of them at once. Right. And to your point, like once you have it done right the first way, essentially you get like the first one is where it gets like super tricky. After that, it sort of becomes easier. I wouldn't say yep. easy, but easier. <laughs> easier, much yeah. easier. But one thing we haven't discussed, like you uh, talked about icons, is like the most important thing that everyone basically wants to know is emotional. Emojis. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not 15. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Okay, oh, so burn. Any- no, actually, yeah. <laughs> emojis are universal. It's just uh, I am too old to understand them fully. <laughs> even if you say, even if you said anything incorrect uh, for the last like 45 minutes that we've been talking, that one statement that he said is probably going to get you a lot of internet hate, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just I was just in a conversation with some uh, teenager because I was on a rafting trip with a whole bunch of people, uh-huh. and she was talking about her how her parents don't understand emoji, and I just kind of like nodded my head at everything she was saying because I wanted to seem cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is also like how when Google announced uh, the name uh, Nougat like on uh, Snapchat, everyone was like, oh, how do I use Snapchat? Like, what did this stuff make? This makes no sense. <laughs> Similar problems there. Are there any additional things that you'd like to point us towards so we can get a better understanding? Yeah, one is the, the basic Android localization documentation is great. Um, worth reading through. They have a checklist, which is handy. 
Um, but one other thing I'd like to point people to, if they want a short version of this podcast, which is uh, kind of silly after like talking for an hour, but uh, it's a short version. There's a YouTube video um, from Computer File, and it's great. It's all about how hard it is to do internationalization. Oh, okay. And it goes through a lot of the crazy things that can happen with language, uh, and that might be worth watching uh, if you're feeling bad about how hard this problem is. And we'll definitely add a link to that in uh, to all of the resources you mentioned in the show notes. Dan, as always, this is so much fun talking to you. You should come on the podcast more often. Sure thing. If folks want to reach out to you and if they want to complain to you about how you do not understand emojis and how emojis are the secret way of communicating in, in the future, what is a good place to do that? Yeah, so uh, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at danlu 42 uh, and also, I've got a site, danlu.net, uh, and my last name is spelled L-E-W. Okay, perfect. And uh, Dan's blog is definitely one of the best ways. I remember I was talking to one of my colleagues at Instacart, and they mentioned that uh, your blog specifically, you have a knack for deconstructing concepts in a way that makes it seem uh, very simple. And so your blog is amazing for that. So thank you so much for all the work you do on that. You're welcome. And uh, if folks want to reach both Don or me, then Fragmented Cast is the joint Twitter handle that we use. Feel free to shoot us a note there. Uh, I'm Kaushik Gopal on Twitter. So if you want to complain to me about something or sort of jointly uh, talk about some of the pains of localization and interna internationalization, I will one day be able to say that clearly. But if you want to do that, uh, Kaushik Gopal on Twitter. So thank you folks for listening and we will catch you in the next episode. Thank you again, Dan. Bye-bye. Hey, get a job. Probably tired of hearing that from your parents, maybe your significant other. Who knows? Maybe you're just tired of your current job. And if you are, go to Hired.com slash Fragmented. The folks over at Hired will hook you up with a $2,000 bonus if you land a job through them. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty cool to me. I could use an extra $2,000. Sure you could too. They help you land jobs in engineering, marketing, design, all kinds of stuff. Cool thing about it is, is you can find jobs for full-time employment. And maybe if you're a contractor, they can help you there too. Uh, but really cool thing is that uh, they actually show you the salary information up front too and hide your current job search from your current and past employers so you don't have those weird, awkward conversations that you might have on Monday morning with your boss about why are you trying to find a job when you're working here at this awesome place. Anyway, if you are looking for a job, definitely check out Hired.com and go to Hired.com slash Fragmented to land that $2,000 bonus. Tell them the folks over at Fragmented sent you. They treat you right. Thanks again, Hired. <laughs>